just the other day as coughing up a fishing way the lead ball crashed in my jaw and out of my pearly gates you're such a pretty face we're hoping it don't happen quite the same but buckle up sunshine Cause here comes the rain I was at the end of a tether of sorts, um, and I, I knew I had to find an opening, and I knew that it was through art for me, because I'd already discovered the process, um, and I wanted to hone it in some more, and I wanted to have a little more faith in it, but I didn't exactly know where to go, um, and so, you know, it's been such a lesson for me to develop my art process, because well, that influences and, and helps you stay open to the, your whole life gets better, you know, because what you do in good art opens your other life up, your, your personal life up to um, being present and conscious, I think, you know, because as a, when you're truly in pursuit of good art and you have that awareness and, and you have, um, when you're really flirting with your unconscious, you had kind of have these catcher's mitts around you, you know, and throughout throughout the day, you're just in conversation and things go into that that net or that glove. Hello and welcome. I'm John Price, and this is The Sacred Speaks. Today's participant is a friend, and I've been excited to bring you this episode. He, Justin Stewart, is, uh, you know, one of the reasons I, I really wanted him to speak on the subject is because I've, I've known him for a while, and not only do I really enjoy his music, I think he, he takes his craft seriously, and he's in consistent pursuit to better both himself and, and his art. And I don't know that those two can be separated. Um, sometimes they can, but not for Justin. So, and, and it worked. <laughs> it was a successful conversation. Since we've had this conversation, a lot of his words has been, have been in my mind. So Justin, I'm grateful for this time. I'm going to get to a couple of things, um, and then we're going to get started. Um, the first thing I referenced uh, an artist in the conversation, and I wanted to give her credit, Marina Abramovic uh, did a, uh, um, a project at the MoMA called The Artist is Present. You may have seen it. It's when she sat in the middle of the room and would just make eye contact. I say just. Would make eye contact 
for at the moment it was six full days seven hours per day and uh sitting there it's beautiful i i, I it's beautiful so I, I i forgot her name in the conversation i wanted to give her credit look look her up at mai art uh, excuse me mai dot art it's the marina abramovic institute uh, you will not be upset about that and watch gosh watch uh i watched a document insight i think is the documentary that was on intuition that i watched before justin and i spoke and i, I was kind of inspired by that um t- for justin his website is justin stewart that's j-u-s-t-i-n-s-t-e-w-a-r-t music.com and check out his website he's he's got a lot of you know from videos to his bio and music on there but one thing i think to note is that music is going through a pretty interesting time and as a musician i am fully in favor of supporting the arts so if you in certainly enjoy what you what you listen to but if you want to support an artist let justin be that artist if you'd like, you can email him through the website uh, because he'll be, you know, working on a new record and is looking for sponsors for that record. So, if you feel so inclined, don't delay. Just, uh, just email him. Uh, and on behalf of all artists, that is uh, a much, much appreciated endeavor. Because when it comes to, if you'd listen to the episode with Count, I think it was episode twenty, twenty-six, twenty-five, twenty-seven. Um, we were talking about the economy of, uh, of the internet and how it has affected the music industry. And this is one of the ways. So support Justin, support artists, um, but support Justin. As you listen to this conversation today, you'll hear how raw it is. And that's, again, one of the reasons why I wanted Justin to be involved in this was his ability to be vulnerable and talk about it. And he workshopped a song throughout this process, and you'll, you'll hear all this. Um, but but I, I just love the way that he kind of dips in and out of songs and will kind of interrupt himself and tell a story about it and decide not to play a song. <laughs> it's just, if you listen to these conversations, you know that I'm a sucker for um, raw and real conversation. And so this is one of those. I also included some of his music. You already heard at the beginning, 3% Profit off his album from 2015 called City Fox. And in, in a couple of spots in the conversation, I also included some of his recorded music. There's a song called Thorn from the album Flagship, 2014, and Man Coming from the newest album, 2018. It's called Renaissance. But at the very end of the episode, the song that he was he was workshopping through this episode, he, he, sent, a, he sent a file to me, which is kind of a home recording of the song Say Something Clear from 2019. Justin, I'm so grateful about all this. Thank you. Okay, what else? Oh yeah, there's a, <laughs> you'll hear some kids every now and then. There's a, there's a cookie decorating party that was going on downstairs. And so these beautiful voices of children are, are uh, coming from, from below. So you can look up information on this project at thesacredspeaks.com. The theme music for each episode is from a group called Modern Nations. Look them up at modernnationsmusic.com. 
Thanks to Toby and Nolan for the use of uh, this wonderful song, Clouds, that I've used throughout the, uh, the project. So now I'll read Justin's bio, and then we'll get started. Texas-born and Austin-based, Justin Stewart tends to write about places he inhabits. He grew up splitting his time between Houston and Galveston Island. Family vacations were not to Colorado like many Texans, but to the more modest Austin, which his mother liked best because the air and the water were cleaner. From an early age, Justin knew he would never leave Texas and likely land in Austin. Stewart's first solo record, Flagship, was produced by Kevin Russell of the Skin Ribs and the Gourds. A bit of intimidating praise came from Stewart, came Stewart's way when Russell called the record remarkable or extraordinary. Stewart's response, it kind of scared me because I did not have my process down to maintain such vulnerability. His sophomore album, City Fox, in 2015, was produced by George Rafe, who has also worked with Joe Walsh, Jacob Dylan, and Chris Robinson, and is the gem that came from a 2014 West Texas residency. Stewart lived and wrote in the dusty border town of Presidio, which we'll talk about. Stewart's third record, Renaissance, was produced by Stephen Bellins, who worked with Radney Foster and Billy Casas. Players included Bucca Allen on keys, who's played with Ryan Bingham and Jack Ingram, Chris Searles on drums, who's played with Alejandro Escovedo, Sean Colvin, uh, Jeff Queen on guitars and pedal steel, player with Kelly Willis and Randy Rogers, and John Mike on bass, player with Hayes Carl and Ray Wiley Hubbard. The February 2017 session was held at Ron Joe Studio. Jim Volantine was the engineer, and the record was released in the spring of 2018. So check him out, look at the website. Thanks for being here and listening to the conversation. You're in for a good one. Thanks, Justin. I am completely grateful for this. And uh, like the project on Facebook or Instagram or all those things. And If you have any questions or comments, email me. Uh, check out the website and, uh, and ping me through there. We'll leave it there, and thank you for being here. We're doing an exploration of creativity as it, as it manifests through your story and through the songs that you write and the process that you have. And I'm, I'm really interested in intuition and creativity and considering that I know you, I'm excited that you're the person to be kind of the artist to be, uh, speaking about this. So, uh, I'm grateful, Justin. Thanks, man. Um, I'm grateful to know you and speak for the listener out there. I'm, I'm really grateful for your work. Yeah. Thanks. So thanks. Thanks, man. I'm, uh, I, uh, I feel selfish, you know, cause it's just, it's the kind of shit that makes me really interested. And so to be able to be involved in a process of both teaching and learning is, uh, it's pretty magical. Mm. For anybody out there thinking about doing one of these, I just want to let you know that if you do it at his house, he will fix you poached eggs <laughs> and serve you the strongest coffee you've ever had in your life. <laughs> so push push him for an interview at the house. Push the house, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Thanks for being here. Um, you make your adjustments. And, you know, Justin, it's never... We're never sure what parts of this are going to make it in i don't cut much yeah uh, i had one of the, lucky me yeah one of the <laughs> one of the participants um said to another one 
he he doesn't edit that shit. <laughs> be careful. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I oh. guess um, you know to the to the creative process. I'm mm. not an editor. Mm. You know, it was it was one of the most difficult things when I was writing my dissertation, and um, so so these podcasts are really long. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's both because I really like long form conversation. I spend all my week talking with people for an hour and watching what happens and noticing how so many folks at the end of it are like, oh, I wish I had more time. And uh, and I, I watched, and I, I'm going to forget her name right now, but I watched this cool documentary this morning and uh, about the woman that did the, the art installation project at um, the MoMA, where she just sat and connected visually, mm. you know, looked mm-hmm. in people's eyes. Mm. And I'll, 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 noted in the introduction who this this woman is because it was such a cool process so this this kind of the length of the podcasts and the kind of this energy here is really my my attempt Mm. to make commentary on our need to be more Mm. connected with each other and allow for all the bumps and bruises and uhs and Mm -hmm. (laughs) delays Mm -hmm. and all that i saw um, to come out i just projected that it was done at the the moment but um I saw something Jay Z did in New York City where it's kind of what I'm, I'm picturing you're talking about. But he came into the room and he had a line of people who, of course, wanted to be a part of his project. And and uh, he he sang, he rapped right in front of them, just got six inches from their face in a white room. And then they then he would do a verse, and the next person would walk in, and it showed these people just kind of enamored by this. By this man uh, doing his art right in his face, um, so it it was, <laughs> man, what a, what an opportunity! That's power. I just saw <laughs> he and uh, Beyonce play. My wife and I were, we had nothing to do, and uh, and the the kids were gone, and we just thought, well, what the hell are we gonna do tonight? And we looked online and saw Beyonce and Jay Z were playing in Houston, and I went, no way, done. <laughs> How we, was it? We sat pretty close. Wow, it was amazing. <laughs> Um, I looked, at, <laughs> I looked at my, I looked at Leela and I said, uh, Beyonce walked out and I said, she is a goddess and she is, there's, there's no doubt about it. You know, those two are, um, you know, really locked in something that's pretty amazing and also pretty tough to, to contain, you know, yeah. not, not to go to off mm-hmm. that rabbit hole. But. So, um, speaking of kind of being mesmerized and kind of connected you know mm-hmm. that's a good image for how it is to be here like this yeah and um you know i always i always heard that i tell parents a lot that you know one of the things one of the reasons why um kids kind of struggle with this connection that's why we want to talk to them where, while they're in bed you know going to bed at night or in the car we're not making eye eye, eye contact like mm. this is that it can be really difficult to I think be present and get to know another person, but also see ourselves. You know, really, um, kind of the, the the reality of who we are, and kind of work through what we think and feel with another human being. And I, I'm so again not mm. to go too off on this, but I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Well, let's. Uh, I I I want to get into your story, but I of course think it'd be cool to start um, with a song. If you're willing. Sure, sure. (laughs) Well, we're down in Houston. 
that's where John's office is, and it's where I'm from. So um, I'll start with a song that I I put the the word Houston in the town Houston in, and it um, um it was a, a time in my writing um, that I realized I had to come home and. Um, uh, and being that Houston is my home, um, it meant a lot to me to put it into the song. At the same time, when I was writing this, I was feeling the need to evolve. And so, um, in addition to writing music, I study urban planning. And um, so, coming from Houston, I'm sure the listener can look back on their own hometown and the difficulties we all have in coming back to to deal with where we're from, not in a necessarily a, a negative sense, but just the charge that comes with that. And so I realized it was time for me to return, um, and Houston kind of represented that to me. So it's really great to be back here. The water tastes so wonderful. Just out of the tap here. <laughs> I can't believe it. And you know, being from Austin now, I want that not to be true because it's supposed to be so so clean and clear in Austin. But the water is so good out of the tap, and I'm convinced that's why the brewery Carbach is so uh, wonderful. Yeah. They don't put out a bad beer. So I'm just gonna go right into a verse that goes that really goes to the heart of the song, and and uh at risk of jeopardizing the rest of the song, but I wanted to get to the Houston part, which is, um, <laughs> I wrote this out in West Texas, uh, and so sometimes you have to go away from home to look at home, and I was down in Terlingua taking a weekend trip from Presidio, which is where I was working and uh, writing, and uh, went down to Presidio and had a cup of coffee down there at whatever that spot is next to the starlight, and, uh, then, then walk down to where I was staying, and um, I'm, I'm a bird watcher, and these cactus wrens uh, were, were working the lights. Um, I guess it was, it was in the evening, and um, the bugs were starting to come to the lights, and these cactus wrens were just a pair of them were working this light, getting the bugs off. It, and, and the verse goes, a little cactus wren. Eating bugs off of my building They got me singing songs about Houston Watch me float above the place I am There goes the verse The bridge well, Maybe we go dancing to the chorus but that was an example of of how i move around geographically in my mind um but you know you take what you can get when you're there and and the writing felt so pure yeah. at that moment uh, that i was i finally had houston in my sight but i was out in terlingua <laughs> but you know what there's we could speak about this all day long but it is the desert but it is the the fertile grounds of the soul so when you go out there you know i think that's why so many people are drawn to the desert yeah. and even west texas because they go out there and they 
and we reflect and we start to tending to to things that maybe are undone or or that we need to unpack a little bit mm-hmm. that's what it represents for me i got that when i was out in uh, marfa you know it was fun kind of listening to the the kind of mass explosion of what was going on in marfa from folks in la and new york that um they were just thirsty for that much expansiveness mm-hmm. you know out there in west texas right and uh i don't know you've been to marfa yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's wonderful <laughs> yeah um my second record um city fox mm-hmm. was um was written out there um and in presidio due south of marfa i was out there um I knew something had to change in 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 my world, um, and so I I took an opportunity <clears throat> to take a job out there rebuilding some levee along the Rio Grande, uh, right there. Uh, Presidio is a sister city to um, Ojinaga, is the the Mexican, the Mexico City on the border there, and uh, it's right where um, the Rio Grande joins up with the the Rio Concho. Um, just upstream of, of both cities and a big flood had come through in 2012 or something and um, destroyed much of the levee that was protecting this little town Presidio and so at the time I was working with a big uh, engineering and planning company firm and um, I saw this job pop up out there and um, I knew my time at that firm was coming to an end I'd been there for a couple years. I'd been writing music. I just started recording. I'd, I'd recorded. I'd a couple years before that. I'd kind of felt the the need to get out of Austin as well. Went down to Galveston after Hurricane Ike and wrote a record down there. And then I went back to Austin and and was getting back in the groove. But something wasn't. I felt the need to leave again. And I went through a big a big breakup with a, a wonderful person. And um, anyway, so I took that post out there. And um, it was necessary for me, kind of for my, I felt it was necessary for, kind of for my personal narrative to really go out um, and write again. I knew that it worked for Flagship, my first record. I, like I said, I did that down in Galveston after a hurricane. And so I thought, you know, in the interest of my process, I need to try this again. Um, it worked in this instance. Well, I'm going to go out in West Texas and see if I can write another record. And I was I was struggling, um, you know, in Austin um, with. I think it's been a common theme throughout my my adult life is struggling with solitude and, and community. I mean, I told you that I'm a, an urban planner, and, and the truth is, it's community and regional planning is the actual degree I got. So I have this love and infatuation with solitude, and then I have this love. <laughs> and appreciation for community. So I had to, f- I didn't know that at the time, but I had to figure out that kind of paradox in how you are one with the other and, and, and the other with the other and how to do it in a healthy way. So I was struggling with a lot of anxiety and um, really just kind of fluttering um, in, in Austin. Just felt like the wheels were just about to come off and to put some imagery to that you know it's it's um you know i had this music career um 
really kind of honing in how to be a writer, songwriter. And I had that foot in a canoe, and then my other foot was in this kind of professional world that was just the the, the culture of was just really getting to me of of the of the uh, at least this firm that I was working with. There were some great people there, um, but it just wasn't healthy for me, and I felt kind of just like your legs in mm-hmm. one canoe and then the other canoe, and it was just I was just about to split and pop. So that's why I really had the foresight I think to and the opportunity to go out there and so so fast forward I you know went out there and um the one thing I'll say about Marfa um and I I I finally got to say this to Liz Lambert's face but those people that know Marfa (laughs) it's almost synonymous now with Liz Lambert but um she has that great place El Cosmico and um of course she's done numerous things in Austin Texas but she had um I would come up to Marfa on the weekends and get some uh, groceries and then go back down to Presidio. It's about an hour drive. But I'd also go have some coffee in uh, the El Cosmico lobby because oh, I could it's one see. one of my favorite places. It's wonderful. I love that place. And the people you see. Yeah. Now, this is five years ago, six years ago, and I've been back since. She had a reading room there about the size of this room right here, with seven or eight bookcases just full of the most beautiful books that you want to go out to the desert and you want the book to kind of open you up some. It was there. I mean, it was everything from spirituality to ecology to minimalist art to um, fiction, nonfiction, and actually some Carl Jung, <laughs> as it would be. Um, and so I was I was experiencing down in Presidio very, very palpable change occurring in me in a, a string. I was down there for, I guess, eight months or so. And um, a string of dreams that were coming to me. And um, so when I found this library, this reading room, I would go up once a week and 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 read for a couple hours, um, and it it opened me up. I and, and like I said, I finally had dinner one night on South Congress in Austin, and Liz Lambert at, ended up being at my table. It was a it was a, a nonprofit deal, and I was playing music, and um, Patty Griffin was at the table. It was a real who's who evening, yeah. Anyway, I got to sit next to her, and I got to really thank her, and it felt so good. And then I asked, what the hell happened with that library? Because <laughs> it's not there anymore. Um, I didn't get a square answer from her there, but it was such a gift, um, you know, to share your library with people who are out there um, looking and ready to do some work, some internal work. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. And that, um, you know, that sent me down a road um, to how I know you, John. It, it was it started to give me language um, for things that I was experiencing uh, in my personal life. And man, you want to be a evangelical about something, uh, you know, experience it first and then read it, <laughs> and then you're like, "Well, Whoa. holy shit, I'm not alone," you know. And they you're got like, "Words for that thing." <laughs> they got words for this. So then you feel kind of like an idiot because you're like, I've been trying to recreate the wheel out here in West Texas, you know, and I would, so it was really timely and, um, 
beautiful thing. And of course, our, our mutual friend James, um, after I brought up, you know, kind of some of the things I was reading um, in my current state, <laughs> um, I was I was kind of feeble um, when I would come back to the city. Um, he 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 sees the moment and threw through the red book right at me. Probably oh. I know it, I know it. So I went back to the desert and read that. And um, you know, for the listener, that's well, John can tell you more about it. And I'm I'm seriously just an amateur of of, of Jungian psychology but man it was such a gift and allowed me to return Mm -hmm. i was at the end of a tether of sorts um and i I knew i had to find an opening and i knew that it was through art for me because i'd already discovered the process um and i wanted to hone it in some more and i wanted to have a little more faith in it but i didn't exactly know where to go Mm. um and so you know, it's been such a lesson for me to develop my art process because, well, that influences and, and helps you stay open to the, your whole life gets better, you know, because what you do in good art opens your other life up, your, your personal life up to um, being present and conscious, I think, you know, because as a, when you're truly in pursuit of good art and you have that awareness and, and you have, um, when you're really, flirting with your unconscious you had to kind of have these catchers mitts around you you know and throughout (laughs) throughout the day you're just in conversation and things go into that that net or that glove and so i was i was experiencing that and i've I've since um particularly in my last record renaissance i really got to champion that i did i wrote it largely without trying you know large Mm -hmm. a lot not you know i don't know maybe 80 percent of it was from the unconscious from my perspective and so that was the way forward for me was to stop trying so hard just to get maybe it was my ego maybe it was i had to get things out of the way and start to hollow things out really um you know plant the seed of the song or or the 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 painting i was trying to do and then get out of it leave it you know and try to remain hollow and then life just comes and sticks noodles you know up on the walls and they stick and it's all of a sudden you're writing your best work and you're not trying anymore you know you truly are this kind of vessel this hollow vessel so you know i've heard that in the past about art and artists and again i want to i want to i i want to make sure that i i don't see myself different as as anyone else i I come from a family my, my immediate family they don't consider themselves creatives you know, oh, I, you know, I hear my grandmother saying, oh, I'm, I'm not creative like that. No, he was an artist type, you know, <laughs> and it's frustrating <laughs> to me because I know it's in all of us yeah. and I know it's all, it's in all of our best interests. You know, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be a writer or a painter, but it gets you to that point in life where you're open and aware and you're more compassionate. That's my experience. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're all artists in a sense it's just we have to find our medium and fortunate for me i you know come up you know stealing my brother's guitar when i was a teenager and then um discover the piano at um an early age and and ask my mother i live next to a piano teacher um miss eddie and um 
you know, we grew up very modest, broken family. Me, my my brother, and my mom, and my grandmother really helped raise us. And um, the piano was something that I sought out and asked my mother if I could, you know, start taking lessons from the neighbor. And I stuck it out for, oh, you know, a couple of years, enough. And so, um, so, so some 10, 15 years later, um, I'd been really writing and playing college bands and, and mostly with the guitar, but I got to rediscover the piano and that was right about this time in my, my, uh, my first and second record, solo record. I, I, yeah, sure. Jump in for a sec. Cause I, I, the one, it's just interesting to me. What, what ended your piano playing when you were younger? You know, it was high school, you know, I got to high school and, um, You know, I was never really concerned with what was cool and not cool. Uh, in fact, I, I kind of embraced the uncool. Um, but, you know, I'm sure, I, I don't know, I, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't challenged or, and I, I hate to, to, to place blame. I mean, it was because those three years of lessons really influenced you know, kind of the, the person I am today. But of course, there's part of me that says, "Man, I wish I would have stuck with it," you know. But, but shoot, somehow I did stuck stick with it, and it's it's <clears> resurfaced <throat> when I, it it gave me a tool that I've just found later in life, you know. And um, yeah. but what stopped me? Oh, it was girls and playing <laughs> soccer. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a big I'm a big athlete, and you know that that was taking time, and um, I although I. I just wasn't pushed to create with what I had. And I feel, I feel like that's a common uh, complaint about piano and piano lessons is like, oh, I don't want to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. I don't want to play these little songs, you know. I want to play whatever you listen, Spin Doctors or whatever I'm yeah. listening listen to at that time, you know. Pop songs. And um, so I think it was just, it was just you know, being in choir. I was in choir and I was in piano through through middle school. And then right when high school hit, it was like, oh, it's time to be an athlete, you know. Um, so it was some sort of insecurity that pushed me away from it. But I, to, to reiterate, I didn't have a musical community around me uh, embracing that, you know. My, my family tried. My mother tried. She went to my recitals, you know. Um, but, you know, and I think that speaks to, again, back to urban design, I think that and some of my critique of suburban suburbia, you know, um, I'm sure there are organizations that would prove me di prove me wrong, but um, I felt like, you know, being from a broken family and just trying to make it, you know, piano kind of went out the window. It was like uh, there was no one there to really push me or say, "Come on, hey." You know, let's 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 get together and write. Now, with that said, I, I did find that community, and I found it um, kind of through the 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 Christian um, world, um, and that's why uh, there was a, a there's a, a great group called Young Life, and um, me and my ragtag group of friends who were just on bicycles and you know connecting the suburbs through so-and-so's farmland and you know uh you know uh living life like that in the suburbs um a good life 
very, very good life. Um, we found community through, um, you know, a, a group like that of youth because they would, they would sing with us. And that's something we didn't have. We didn't have, me and my buddies, I don't think any of our, there was a couple of us that had dads around. Um, but we found some men who would sing. And that was, that was, was just missing. And it was, uh, I can reflect on it now. It just affected me dearly. Um, so. Um, would you go into that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess um, maybe in retrospect, I felt like I was on the periphery of something, not having, um, I was just observing all the time. You know, I was I was a very uh, kind of observant, good kid. You know, um, my mother, we have financial problems. And uh, the real male influences for me were with my grandfather down on the coast. And I spent all my summers with him. So um, that's down at Galveston, San Luis Pass. And um, and then the other male influences were either my, you know, my uncles, who I love dearly even to this day and um and then you know boyfriend my mom's boyfriends and you know uh athletic coaches maybe and um and then you know I found some younger kind of role models through uh through young life so um mm -hmm. yeah I guess I felt like it was a uh, I, I, um, it was a way. It was just. It just felt real. It just felt real, you know. And and I think a lot of kids maybe got that at the house, you know, from bullshitting with their dad or you know. But I always felt like where I had the, you know, my mom's boyfriends were all, for the most part really good people, and I got to observe some qualities in them that I really kind of grew in myself. Um, but that was just it. I was always watching them. Well, how does a man work? You know, what does a man do? How do they laugh? How do they? And um, you know, so so seeing some of the vulnerabilities, that was I was drawn to vulnerability, uh, and, um, and I found it even you know through my family and through my friends and some church groups, and um, so yeah, uh, that kind of. That kind of allowed me to find a voice. Um, I started writing a bit about then. You know, junior high, high school is when I really started to write. <clears throat> yeah. At what age were you? Do you remember it? First song. Um. Yeah, when I realized I could do it, it became it was it was it was words first, um, and then shoot, you pick up a guitar and uh, I'd been living. <laughs> I can I can have a short attention span sometimes. And um, so in all the, all the margins of all my textbooks was poetry and not formulated poems, but um, just little one, two, three lines. I still do it. But yeah. um, so to pick up a guitar and to just find a couple chords and um, the words were just there looking at me, I realized that I could just talk through some of these these lines and um, just made it really apparent to me that the power of combining word with music um, 
So, um, it's, uh, you, you know, it, I'm still learning about it, but what you can do with, with your words, um, on a page. And then when you put music into it, well, you can take almost all those words away. Go into that. You got, you got something. Um, what song comes to mind? Well, this is the song that I've, you know, you told me last week that I said, what are we doing, John? You're just going to, we're just going to talk about creativity. Yeah. I want you to talk about poetry in your process and lead a poetry workshop or I said, Oh shit. <laughs> uh, so I, um, it was great. Uh, it was like a week ago, wasn't it? And so, um, yeah. so I've, I've, I've done worked on this little piece for, um, Oh, 10 minute increments. I've probably done, done, done three sessions with this song and I wanted to bring something really raw. And so, um, I'd say it needs about two or three more visits. Um, but that is that was the seed, John, for you to say, I want I want you to lead a, a poetry workshop, you know, in this. I say, well, I don't know what that looks like. But when I've done it in the past, the few times that I've done something like this, it's always best to, to bring something that you're working on, you know, because that invites the it makes it makes me vulnerable, you know. And so um, so these are things that I've been thinking about just in this song of over the last week. I've, um, you know, we're in the solstice now. We just had the winter solstice. And um, my, I have a new daughter, a little little one-and-a-half-year-old baby girl. And um, sometimes she wakes up, and I think it's she's kind of like me. She, When that moon gets full, it gets her up in, in the middle of the night. And it does to me, too. And I'm appreciative of it now. But um, anyway, she's been rolling around, and I, I knew this big moon was coming. And so... Um, Sometimes the only way to put her down is to put her in this. I call it the pocket. It's just a little satchel that I can put her in. It goes over my shoulder, and we go for a walk about 10 blocks, come back. And, uh, you know, it's been around Christmas time, and uh, all the lights are out. And so she's looking at those. And, well, so this is kind of written in the unconscious for me. So um, in the mornings, I'll wake up, and I guess three out of the last six or seven mornings since you've told me about this. Uh, I, I've, I've written this. I wish I had a sidewalk that went all the way down my street to all my friends. Just a little more access to my big old family. Just a little more freedom to feel. Say something. Say something. Say something clear. Won't you plug in a little light In the middle of the darkest night We got lucky last night A full moon and stars This song is a little arc 
or tethered to a little heart. We'll say something when it really gets dark. Well, well someone's gonna hear it. Say something, say something, say something clear. Say something, say something, say something clear. Wish I had a sidewalk that went all the way down. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. <clears throat> it's good to be in the room with you while you're working through that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's vulnerability right there. Um, you know, we can we can talk about the tune if you want, or um, you know, we can move on. But you know, what I'm what I'm trying to get better at in writing, or what I'm challenged to do. Um, I saw Billy Collins, the poet, speak up in Austin. He did this great show with Amy Mann, the songwriter. Mm -hmm. um, it's about five years ago. Uh, it's kind of, I keep pointing back to that time in my life because I was devouring everything on creativity and I was reading everything I could. I still try, but um, I went to see him speak and so she'd play a couple songs and then he'd read some poetry and I just remember being in the crowd saying, come on, get to the process, get to the process. I love your work, it's good. But get, when do you write? Uh, how do you, you know? That's yeah. what I want to ask every artist, you know? And I think it's, I, I, can, I can talk about process just like you can for the day is long, you know? And he said something, and of course I scribbled it down. I had my notepad, but he's... Detriment. <laughs> 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 yes, exactly, yeah. Well, you know, that's the beautiful thing of, of living in a, a highly cultured and, and, and vibrant town like Austin is that you can go out and you can, you can get stoked, you know, you mm -hmm. can go watch a performance. And, and, and I, I know now from my survival in the, in, in the arts. And when I say survival, I mean survival of life, you know, for me to, to me to stay alive is to, for me to make my art. I feel the same way. And and so our real job is to work on our process so we can we can stay in this world, you know, we can we can stay engaged. And so this speaks to, you know, the value of community and, and the arts. And so anyway, back to Billy Collins, I, I walked down all the way to Paramount from the east side and um, listened to him speak. And he said, you know, as poets, we need to write cold. We need to 
You know, he's saying, need to take the emotion out of it. Good poets write cold. And I loved it. I was like, oh, that's it, you know? So I wrote that down and I ruminated on it for a long time and I still do. And uh, man, it's true. It's, and so I, you know, just in this little song here that I'm starting say something, you know, I'm, I'm, it's so wonderful when you, when you look back on it and something's come through you and you've been able to take out a lot of the charge, but it's, and it's, it's, it kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier about being hollow and then you start to hollow out your artwork. I feel like that's where I'm, I'm really excited to go is, 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 is make, you know, not make it cold, but take out some of that ego, you know, take out some of that charge um of me and then you let it sit and then as they say in poetry you get halfway through the poem or at the end and you can kick out the scaffolding the scaffolding and it sits there and it holds and it floats for a second that's beautiful (laughs) isn't it i like that a lot and so i think that's like a goal of mine and um you know i sometimes i think about poems and writing as circles you know um but though at the moment i'm i'm thinking about them more as as an arc and 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 so in this little song here i just wrote the character says uh this song is a little arc tethered to a little heart say something when it really gets dark well someone's gonna hear it and um you know, it's trying. It's 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 allowing me to stop trying to make perfect circles out of my work. You know, and um, you know that's why I really value a record versus a song. You know, if you, I think it's traumatic for a songwriter to try and write a song or a hit song or something. It's like you have to conceive this whole thing, this this collection of work, and deliver it like you're working on. You told me about some of the things you're working on. So that's the real beauty and and if you conceive that vision of the of the record of the project then you're you got your challenge out ahead of you and you can start putting arcs towards it so that's how kind of how i'm approaching it right now is um letting simple songs be simple songs you know this song here i stayed in the key you know i didn't do anything too tricky and i don't intend to but for little arcs like that i i don't think it needs it you know um it might evolve, but it's been my experience that the quicker you put it down and the, maybe the more you hollow it out, then uh, it gets stronger versus mm-hmm. adding on to it, you know. Um, and fortunately, I've got a couple of records under my belt, and I know that if I put the right musicians in the room with me and I leave that space, <clears throat> well, man, that's just a gift to these wonderful Austin musicians or whoever I'm playing with for them to express themselves and um, that's when it gets really strong for me uh, music you're, you're talking about the craft crafting and I, I, I keep <laughs> I thought about tattoos for a second you know when people start getting a tattoo and they get all these little stickers all over their bodies and then they eventually come to the mural you know and it's it, ah, there's a vision nice but um, but something that Rachel Harris said to me in one of the episodes she said uh or she she had written it um about psychedelics oddly enough perceptual refinement is the is the term when somebody really can get in there and feel Mm. follow the thread 
and see a total vision. And it's not just these little notes or blips, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's part of a, a tapestry and it's mm-hmm. collective. And so when you're, I just had this insight recently where I, I think I've actually, I've written a lot of songs in my life. And I think on some level, it's the same song. It's mm-hmm. the same mm-hmm. thread. Yeah. It's just different <laughs> ways I've been working through and trying to express something that's inside of me. And I, I really appreciate what you're saying now, because I, I said that, you know, you and I are going to be linked in a lot of things in this, because I'm writing from a different place today more than I ever have been. And it's part of that, because I'm writing a project as opposed yeah. to bunch of little songs yeah it's um yeah i can kind of I, I i can get defensive you know uh, fortunately I've, i have the producers that i've worked with they're all they all get it you know they and uh but yeah when you, i mean i think that's a that was part of my struggle when i when i was went out west was i have to be able to get rid of so much of this noise this common culture <laughs> just, noise. Yeah. I mean, cause it was affecting me, you know, and even down to that, you know, uh, listening to my friends or, or listening to people talk about a song from an artist and, you know, and, or, or man, have you heard so-and-so's new song, man, they really lost it or something. And I was like, how dare we, go after one song from a person you know and and so i've had to i've had to kind of and boy it was a real treat and it worked at getting away because now that for the most part that noise just rolls off my back because i just I'm, they don't get it you know um well even your reaction to what i said to you when you came in today was you know, I woke up this morning. I listened to your entire catalog. <laughs> what I said, you, you said I said like, you might be the only person yeah, who's ever done that. Does that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, you know, um, I have some reservations even about celebrating my entire catalog. Um, sure. But um, yeah, it's more so just about what modern culture how we how we value or don't value artists and the artistic process and and we just want it to appear and we want it to be quick and fast and we want to share a playlist and we get one song. It's just like, man, if you go down that road and and you don't have kind of some of your blinders on as a creative person, it can really just drain you. Uh and I was that was that was a large thing. That was a big component of what I had to let go of um when I went west. And, um, yeah, uh, you mentioned psychedelics and I, on that, on that trip, um, on that, that, that project, um, I knew I was going through something, you know, as we've talked about already. And, um, um, so I, I had acquired some mushrooms and as I kind of went through it, I kind of saw what I thought needed to be changed. Or I, I knew that I had to leave something behind to grow. And um, so it was a very positive experience. But I took a, I was staying in a little house right on the border, um, just alfalfa fields around around us, around me. And um, staying in a big house, a 3-2 it was too big for someone down. All the walls were painted white. 
scorpions. I mean, it was it was a clean house, but you know, when you're down there in the desert, there's just critters and tumbleweeds. And um, anyway, I covered some of those walls up. When I go into Marfa, I would I would pick up a New York Times, and I'd, I'd take it down there. I say they got that uh, get and go or whatever that little grocery is. I say this mm. this New York Times is uh, is four days old. You still want nine dollars for it? And they say, well, hey, a New York Times and Marfa that's two weeks old is still new, you know. <laughs> In fact, it's even, it's $18. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> so anyway, I, I I would post up a lot of those. I would get to the art section, just post up pieces of newspaper all over the house just to have that company of art and artists. And um, I was... What a good vision. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I, I took these mushrooms and um, I'd, some, I'd kind of befriended uh, the horse next to us. Um the Mexican man and his family lived there and on Sundays I'd have some beers with him and um he had an old racehorse who hadn't been ridden in years just sat out in the field I'd feed him through the fence and whatever but um um so yeah you know with the psychedelic I, I it became kind of very clear uh, um of, of a part of me that I had to let go and it was very much a, a part of you know I guess what you would call an ego um and I won't get into it too much, but it was so apparent to me, and it was almost like I, I could just trim it out with a scalpel, and I knew I'd let it go. And it was such a relief because, you know, again, I, I'd kind of worked up this this narrative that I was going to find something in West Texas, damn it, you know? <laughs> and that's dangerous because, hey, a lot of people go out there and they don't find shit but a bunch of dust and some, some cactus spurs in them, but... Um, I found it. I found what I needed to let go, or at least something that could represent that. And um, hmm. I trimmed that out, and then um, I felt really good. And um, I walked out to go see that horse. And uh, the damnedest thing happened. I, I He was out in the field, and it was dusk. Uh, and um, I'd walked up to him before, but you know how, how tall a horse stands. So I would just kind of pat him and, but I was I was feeling um, very well and confident, and I walked out to see him. I think I had some carrots in my pocket, and he had, by chance, the old farmer there had pushed. Oh, well, I'll tell you what it is. You know, they they move water um, through their fields like in an aqueduct. You know, it's just open, mm -hmm. and so there ends up being piles of soil just sitting around in an otherwise flat floodplain right along the Rio Grande. And uh, this horse was was sitting or standing <laughs> right next to this kind of berm. And uh, as I walked up to it, I knew exactly what I was going to try and do. <laughs> and uh, I said hello to the horse. <laughs> I said hello to the horse, and he I mean, he knew me. Um, and I let him smell me, and I gave him a carrot. And then I kind of got up on that little mound, and his old mangled tangled up uncared cared for unkept mane you know he hadn't been brushed in in years um i just jumped on him and i held on to his mane and i kind of hugged his neck and he didn't know quite what to think and i didn't know quite what to think <laughs> and um but we knew each other you know there's that trust there and anybody that works with horses or no horses or any animals really you know when there's that connection and 
that thing started walking and um i realized i'm comfortable on horses obviously for me to even try and do that but i had never been on a horse without reins <laughs> so i'm comfortable on a horse with reins what i found out because um he starts walking around and i start to recognize the situation i'm in and uh i kind of pull on his mane to see if maybe that would do anything you know go one way or the other just no response Nothing. it's like you were i was scratching an itch or That's something right. and he just starts and he starts walking and what he did john is he he kind of went the it wasn't the perimeter of the pasture it was what I remember, a perfect circle. But literally, he did this giant, about a four and a half, five minute circle where he walked. He never got to a trot or anything, thankfully. And he did this giant circle and he put me right back on that mound of dirt. And I jumped off because I knew it was time to get off. I found what I needed and I thanked him. And that was the end. And I felt like a changed man I'm assuming there wasn't anything concrete with that. It was just a an intuition or a felt sense. It was a felt sense, yeah. It was um <clears throat> Well, it was time to get to work. It was you know, that was it, you know. I it was time to come home. And um you know, I I think that, you know, that there's a real lesson in there that I've struggled with through my life to, you know, to be an adult or to be a man, you know, is, is a lot about saying enough's enough. You know, I've decided, you know, this is this, that is that, and, um, it's time to move on, you know. And so in the interest of my well-being, spiritually, physically, I was getting beat to shit out there in the desert. Mm. <laughs> I'm not a desert boy, you know. I'm from the coast. I like 100% humidity, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was out there just getting fried, man. And um, yeah, um, so yeah, it was, just, it was just that feeling of it's time to come home. I've I've been on a horse bareback huh yeah it's uh listening to that had me reflecting on that it was different my experience was different it was more wild and hmm. the horse i was on took off <laughs> <laughs> i didn't wow. have the kind of um, i don't think i had the 
presence and the um, at that at that time in my life I didn't have the kind of presence and connection with with the world that I do now and uh, so I just jumped on its back and it took off and I remember thinking when I was on the back of that horse how do you stop this thing <laughs> how the hell yeah I wasn't able to move how, I mean it's it's back was doing things that my body wasn't doing and we yeah. were in opposition with each other and it was just such a just listening to these two experiences yeah. what metaphors yeah. you know yeah well uh, I told the, the old man what I'd done you know the next week I said I got on your horse and um he got a kick out of it um and and you know what happened it was about two two weeks later one sunday he he i don't suspect it was for my my well-being but he got a kick out of the gringo that like horses you know and like this old washed up racehorse he had and um <clears throat> so he he had a fiesta of sorts made sure i was going to come and a bunch of his sons and brothers and whatnot trailered over a bunch of their horses and um <laughs> they put me on every single one and uh i ran those those horses as fast as i could you know i was on a high for yeah. for weeks after that and um and uh the good thing about that soil down there it's, it's floodplain and you know those are uh, alfalfa farmers down there you have these great quarter mile half mile tracks that are nothing but four inches deep of river silt and sand and, and nothing feels better than to run a horse and you know they love it too you know and uh boy they got a kick out of me the gringo that liked to ride and i would ride him as fast as i could i mean i just i just trusted these these things and um so we had a great sunday uh where they made me ride all of them and you know what that horse his old horse uh, uh that day i came over and they cut his mane off, which was sad, but um, but it was you know beautiful and had a haircut, you know it was spruced up so to speak because the mane was unsalvageable as mm -hmm. it was. But I got on him and I said, "Whoa, where'd your mane go? All right, let's run." <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Does a uh, does a song come to mind about that? Well, yeah. Uh, on City Fox, I wrote Year of the Horse, um, and, um, you know, um, uh, I don't think I'll play it, but uh, uh, it's, it's a real, I don't think I'm done writing about horses, I'll tell you that, um, and I, I look forward to the day uh, that I'll have access to them again, but, you know, uh, it was palpable enough. <clears throat> And John, I'm not the kind of writer to write really always about myself. You know, in fact, I, I really prefer to find other characters. But in that it was uh, to write through, yeah. in that it was such a, a, a strong and powerful time in my life, um, you know, I, I did write a tune, you know, You're the Horse. And the meaning of it for me was, you know, in the... Uh, this is probably by design, quite honestly, but in the in the Eastern culture, as you will remind me, I'm sure, you know, their their calendar is every is it twelve years or something? I don't know what it is. And so, um 
I just remember telling myself, oh, this is a, okay. It was the year of the horse, you know. It was 2015 was the year of the horse. That was when I was writing this. I said, oh, well, shit, you know. The horse just saved my life. It's the year of the horse. I'm going to write a song. <laughs> and uh, that, by the way, is not writing cold. <laughs> Billy Gibbons. <laughs> Billy Collins. That's some charged, charged. But, um, yeah, so I, I wrote that song. And, you know, it's, it's um, um, I don't remember how it goes. It's, uh. I think it's dust Dead against a rock Thinking about my brother And some love I'd lost Then a horse named Coin Come And stand in the sun Where you going I wanna feel the rain I want to feel the rain on my face Ride down to the city and find a dry place It was just a song kind of telling myself You're going to write a song called Year of the Horse And you're going to make it another 12 years Yeah, it's kind of like a a promise to myself, I guess. You know that Yeah, just you know made it through that year. I I I want to see that. I want to see the next year. But I want to see the next year of the horse, you know. So, you know, I'm I don't know, almost halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'd like to play a harmonica with you. Sure. You mind doing a little great song? Okay. Uh, what key are you in? Whatever you got. Uh, let me get my. I just feel kind of inspired to okay. play a little music. Sounds yeah. great. So this. Let me okay. think on something. Um, it's a B or F sharp. That's kind of sucky, isn't it? Huh? F? You got a good F? Yeah. <laughs> But I am trying to get your mind off the same pole. I'm trying to get your mind off the same pole. Ask him to rain. Took all your hard earned money. I'm trying to get your mind off the same pole. It turned you inside. 
there Made bad of all you loving Tumbleweed stack on my house I simply take them down Burn them in my yard Burn them in my yard of no wind I'm trying to get your mind off the St. Paul It has screwed you around Took all your hard-earned money I'm trying It turn you inside out, make bad of all your loving. Yeah, come find your saint. All right. John, <laughs> good to be in this room with you, my friend. It's good to play with you. That's good. <laughs> um, That's uh, John Price on the harmonica. <laughs> Who had to have a bathroom break. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Well, man, I've had a great time talking with you. At, at, um, it's really just a, a real treat. And I want to take the opportunity again. I before I take took this most recent job, uh, which I love. Quite honestly, I'm working with the city of Austin, uh, doing some really great proactive urban planning. Go figure. Uh, connecting neighborhoods is what I'm doing. <laughs> Believe it or not, I tell you, you couldn't write it. But. Um, before I did that, I was a stay-at-home dad for the last year, year and a half, raising Luciana while Tasha was working. And uh, I took a job doing dishes on Friday nights at this cafe by my house to get me out of the house, you know, because I'd been with the girl all week. And it, it allowed me to be social in a sense. You know, that back kitchen chatter, man. Oh, oh. 
I've and that'll been, toughen you that up. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in a lot of those bad They say, we don't care about your baby. We don't care about your, your music sucks. There's a stack of dishes. Get to work. We love you, you know? <laughs> but anyway, I would, I, 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 yeah. And, uh, I would listen to, of course, a lot of music, but I'd, I'd listen to a lot of your work that you're doing here. And, um, just wonderful, man. Um, so thank you. I know, and I don't, I know you're doing a lot of work to get this project moving and I'm sure the listener can agree. Um, it's just really, really good. Uh, it's time well spent and keep it up, man. Ah, thanks man. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank really. you. <laughs> oh, Justin, man, this is a, this is a treat. Hmm. So I told you earlier about broad brush strokes. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, I want to I want to get into something because I want to. Mm. It's it's funny. I had uh, this guy John Beebe, Doctor John Beebe. I was uh, talking with a couple a couple times ago. And at the beginning of it, I said, you know, yeah, I thought it was really cool to be able to read somebody's book and talk to them. Mm -hmm. kind of un understand their what they were thinking and make it more alive yeah and he said well then i've i've become the person that i used to project on because when i was a young guy reading that's what i wanted to do too <laughs> I said, well, shit, cool man i like um i like giving voice to this fantasy <clears throat> and uh it's good man to sit down with you and and so that projection you had, you know, that um, Billy Collins, you know, looking at him saying, man, when are you going to get to process? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome, John. We're getting it's... to process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, well, it's uh, symbiotic to be in conversation with somebody. Mm -hmm. um, it so. is. So the, the kind of particulars that I think are important and just to... It's 10 right now. Are you good? Yeah. Okay, good. I mean, I've got, you know, maybe let's go 30, 40 minutes. You good with that? I think I can make it. Good. I might have to steal some of your coffee. Good. That's fine. <laughs> no, I can do it. I may be out. I may make some more. Um, so I, let's, let's talk process. You know, that was a... I don't know if we were smart. We may just stop there. Yeah, we might. Um, I'm flattered to think you, you... I'm flattered that you think I got another 30 minutes of interesting chat, so... Oh, you do. <laughs> See, this is what I'm going to push you. Now you've set it up, man. Shit, my... Bring my, it on, buddy. My punk rocker's going to come out and say, all right, Justin, we'll go. Um, <laughs> well, so, yeah what I'm thinking here is more of a meta meta question about albums, you know? And so based kind of what we were talking about earlier, this, the song that somebody finds different ways of expressing throughout their whole life, you know, mm -hmm. the album versus the song, the one individual song. So when you, when you're, when you're sitting with an artist and you're talking about process, you know, I made a comment earlier about your first song. Mine was in lunch detention when I was 15 and uh, and I had the same thing you know when I quit playing guitar when I was eight I took lessons 
Mm-hmm. Took lessons again when I was in eighth grade. Quit. Mm-hmm. You know, quit in quotations, right? Because yeah. it never stopped. It just like I was that guy. I was like, I want to play Guns and Roses, man. Like, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, yeah. So, if we're looking at the thread of your process, you know, it starts with flagship as far as your albums are concerned, right? And so, so you know, I want to get in there and figure out, you know, what does that album say? Because that's that was that your first time in the studio? No. Um, and to be fair, I was in a, a somewhat acclaimed, um, maybe a locally acclaimed college band called Last Free Exit. We played in College Station. That's where I made a lot of my life lifelong friends between there and San Marcos. And um and we did some records and they were they were good. Um uh, and um it's funny, I was returning after graduating college, moved to Austin to make it big, you know. <laughs> um <laughs> But we ended up having to, having to go back. You know, we want to go back to College Station because we play play shows and hundreds of people will come out. But you know, uh, turns out people graduate. You know, <laughs> yeah. but so as it would be, you start to lose drummers, as I'm sure you can attest. And um, we're going back to College Station one of these times with a new drummer, and he's like, well, "Where the hell are we playing?" I was like, "We're playing College Station." Um, believe it or not, uh, we are pretty big in College Station. <laughs> to which she replied, you're big in College Station, huh? Isn't that like the prettiest waitress in Denny's? <laughs> it was very humbling. I said, this is your last gig, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. No, I say that because um, I, um, I, it would, I would be at, uh, doing disservice to my own development and also to friends that i played with for a long time and i've played with a couple other bands uh flagship was my first solo record um yeah. so if you wanted to dig into that the the the, the chapter would be sometime um after i'd i'd stopped playing with bands um and i was trying to develop more as a writer as a music writer as a composer I was suffering, um, I shouldn't say suffering, I was growing out of um, giving too much of my process away or or not focusing. I needed to do my own work. Mm-hmm. I needed to develop. It became clear to me. I was very confident in what I considered to be good music. I could hear it, and I could hear what these writers were doing, Dylan and Paul Simon and, you know, uh, Dave Matthews, I could hear what they were doing, and I would in in comparing myself to that, I, I recognized some things that I needed to develop, and I was struggling with being in a room of musicians and rehearsals, and maintaining that conduit of I am here to, we are here to flush out my art, my work. It sounds pompous, but it's a very important thing as a as a writer or as a musician to 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 follow through with your vision otherwise you you know and so i it was a it was a clear way forward for me i like to think that in the future i'll I'll, i can play in bands and this and that but i knew that i needed to do some work some personal work and development and so that's when i started making solo records and um 
And it did. It gave me the confidence. You know, now I can, you know, my buddy in Houston can say, hey, come lead a poetry. Come write a song. <laughs> write a song. You got five days. <laughs> and so now, you know, it, I wouldn't have been able to do that, yeah. you know, 15 years ago. <clears throat> I would have looked to, I, I, I need a baseline. I need to go sit with another musician. I need to, I need, need, need. No, you don't. You need to do the work. You need to show up and do the work. And I needed to show up and do the work. So that was the first flagship yeah, so you're you're right. You, you paint with these broad brushes. I can easily go through my work, and 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 I I think I was cognizant of that, that going through my work and seeing that I was I was retreating. You know, I went to Galveston Island after Hurricane Ike, and I worked with FEMA uh, as a contractor. But I did it because I knew I needed to write a record, my first solo record. I had that insight. It was in me. I just needed space to get it out. Now, we know. Uh, I know now it's not the physical space. It's not the, you don't need to be thousands of miles away from home. But in my mind at that time, and I can still see the value of it, you know, but I needed to get out. I needed to go to an island, you know. It was ironic that it was kind of where I'm from, you know. I spent all my summers on Galveston Island, but that that helped bring up a lot of material to work with. So um, I had to get really, really quiet. And and to make my first record in the leading up to it, I was living in my trailer at the time, my Airstream. Um, and I just remember very, a very, very quiet time um, where I didn't want any microphones. I wasn't taking in any new music. It was just me and the guitar, maybe a little piano. And I was singing. I was singing at such a... I wanted to find my voice and I wanted to start on good footing and find my voice. So I, I just felt like I was in a cave. You know, you, you, you read about our ancestors and, you know, they went into caves and this and that. I felt like I was in a cave and I was singing really quiet and I was just finding the nuances in my voice that I want, that I, I believed. I was struggling with believing some of my own music. And that's a hard thing, I think, as a as a as a writer or an artist, music maker. So and so, um, <clears throat> so what I so that was part of my process was to to break strip it down to nothing, you know, just me and my voice, and and finding what it is that I believe in, believing in myself, and hearing my voice, actually listening to it. So, yeah, so that first record um, um, w was really about kind of finding a voice, and I can listen to it now, and man, it does sound very. Fragile, but I knew at the time it was a very my voice was very fragile. But I was, it was what I needed to do to kind of start my trajectory, to con to get my narrative under under my own uh, control. And uh, you know, not that I'm really concerned all that much with my narrative, but it was it was symbolic for me to go away to go to an island and write a record. I knew I could do it, but I had to do the work. And to do the work, I had to find my voice. Come 
Does you always close windows that you never leave open? Through your skin, it's sending out and in again. Well, the Irish is never for this, their blood in your rhythm. So, yeah, so I think each new record has been kind of that same journey, you know, that thread thread and and opening up and and finding the newness. And I think, again, to go back to what I said at the beginning, I think that is, you know, it's it's such a testament to following authenticity uh, of yourself 
in a creative sense. And again, that doesn't mean you have to be a writer or a painter. But whatever your art is, whatever your gift is, whatever your tools are, to rediscover them in a more and more kind of yearning, authentic, hollowing out is time well spent. Not just for your work. I mean, believe it or not, your, your music gets better. Um, at least I feel like it is. And, and, um, but your life gets better because you're, you're training yourself to get rid of a lot of that noise that I think so much of us are, we only have so much bandwidth, you know? And when you start to point out either the relationships you have in your life that are stealing too much of that or whatever the noise might be, and you can take ownership and you, you say, look, this is not good for me anymore. Whether it's a subscription to a TV series or whether it's a relationship with, uh, a loved one or a sibling, you know, it's, there are those moments where you have to go put up the boundaries again and saying, this is the what, this is me. You know, I need this. I need to regain some of this control over, over the little time I have on this life, you know, and, 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 and how much availability I have to pursue what I think is important and to do it with authenticity. Um, I think, Doing it with authenticity, I think, comes with doing that kind of work of of honing your craft. I think uh, it just gets better, you know. But more importantly, you get better, I think, as a human. And um, and again, you're there, you know. I think artists are some of the greatest people to hang out with. But a lot of people might they have to they have to. I mean, I can be social. I can be an extrovert. I can be an introvert. I guess we're all some sort of a conglomerate of each. But um, I can also sometimes walk into a room and immediately know who I want to talk to and who I don't. And I know that sounds judgmental, but when I am in those moments of opening, uh, or, um, you know, I heard Dolly Parton say once, they're asking her, how do you prepare to write? You know, what is your process? So she's, <laughs> and she said she, this really affected me. She said, uh, she does a fast so she can be available she can be a vessel so she can she can catch all those messages and and the, the you know the spirits i guess she can be inspired inspired she can be of spirit you know and um anyway i digress but uh, uh, I, I guess i find artistic people um, whimsical, I guess, when they're really, you know, but at the same time, I'm very forgiving and I have a lot of compassion for artistic people because I feel like I, I know what they're dealing with. I feel like I know what they're looking at. And I feel like, you know, our, our current culture doesn't value that. They don't, they don't, you know, they don't want to give them the space. They don't want to give them the money. They just want the product. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's a whole new a whole nother podcast um but um so yeah um i guess to in closing it, it, it's um, it's important to me to um support the arts however i can do that um and it's important for me to surround myself with people who don't like my music but they um, they honor my 
sovereignty, you know, and, and, um, I had to do some work to get to that, you know, to, to, to take back that space, to, to take back my boundaries, you know, um, not that I'm a, a victim of, I just think it was kind of something from my childhood, you know, I told you I was a very observant people person and I, I didn't, I didn't want to cause, uh, discord. I didn't want to cause a disturbance, you know, my, my mama, my mom had it hard enough and I just, I just wanted to be available to help and, and give her the money we needed to make rent, you know? And, um, and so in doing that, um, I think I became somewhat of a caregiver, maybe a little bit. I'm not sure what the archety archetype would be of that. Um, but I've had to, I've had to be a little bit more decisive and so that's something that uh, I'm still trying to develop, but it it pays off in spades, you know. Mm -hmm. Particularly if you are in process, if you if you're familiar, you know, you got work to do. I know. I mean, that's what you said earlier about um, what happened after being on the horses. This from that discernment. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, because it puts you in control again, you know, and uh, not only are you in control, but, you know, <laughs> careful what you ask for because you got, now it's time to get to work, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's great, it's wonderful, it's like a, a new lease on life, but it's, <clears throat> you know, uh, where you are comfortable, you must leave, doesn't, doesn't Jung tell us that or something mm -hmm. similar to that, you know, where you are comfortable, you must leave, and that's just awesome, man, that's an artist right there. That's what he, that's what it means to me. It's like, well, I, so go into that for a second. Uh, Cause I think what is art? An art is, it, it, you know, in simple sense for me in a poetic sense. Um, now I usually give this analogy when I'm sitting at a pub that might not surprise you, but if you, preach, if you turn a, if you turn a half empty, a half full pint, <laughs> if you turn a half full pint up on its edge and and on your bar nap, you can kind of roll the edge of that glass over the bar nap and it'll make a line. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's our job as poets. It's like words are all around us and we we think we know how we feel about them. But the job of the poet is to just get pressed, press out some of that language and leave the line, leave the mark, get another pint, whatever. But but my point is, it's like, I think a lot of writers struggle so much with what am I saying? What does it mean? What is it, you know, just move through it. That's your medium. Um, now we want to be responsible with our words. And I may or may not have been so responsible in my work uh but it's an intention of mine but what also is an intention is for me to um you know to to keep moving you know mm -hmm. and to allow that that liberty to to use words in a in a creative manner uh, juxtapose double meanings double entendres uh, current issues we're having it's hard it's hard work to get to that contemporary language um, 
but I think it's a it's a good challenge, and I think it pays off for our societies because um, the civilians, those that are either following their their bliss, their path, or not, um, I think that we all benefit from it. You know, having having that art in our societies, in our cultures, in our cities is so important. And and man, uh, I wouldn't be even sitting in this seat if I didn't live in Austin, Texas. I, I, I really feel that deeply. I, I live in such a vibrant area of artists mm. and there's nothing more inspiring to go to your coffee shop or your pub and, or your art exhibit or whatever, and just see people working, you know, it makes you feel normal. It normalizes you and you can get back to work. And so going back to my um, paradox, learning to live with my paradox of solitude and community. I know I love to get away, but I know I need people. And so my process is um, short, like I did on this song here, 10 minutes here in the morning. Mm-hmm. I write a lot, trying to get more and more writing from my unconscious. The best time for me and probably you, I'm certain, is the early morning. I'll use my dreams as a springboard. I've learned to work my dreams, um, you know, what they symbolize. And but equally as important is it keeps that that um, ingress, egress, that flow of unconscious into the into the daily life, unconscious. So it's, if I can do that work in the morning, the rest of my day gets better. The rest of my life gets better. I'm more conscious. I'm I'm available. I'm aware. And our friend Rachel Connerly taught me that mm-hmm. she she used um, a figure eight, a sideways figure eight. And if you think about that trajectory, when you wake up in the morning, this is how I do it in the morning. Uh, and I, I I listen to the dream. I try to get the chapters, at least the main points. Try to get to the coffee. <laughs> try to start my ritual. Doesn't happen every morning. I told you I have a little daughter. <laughs> <laughs> But if I can start that trajectory and go into that work, that unconscious, tell a little story, whatever, maybe read something. But then when that figure eight crosses that plane, I think about that as my front door and I go out into the world and I make that turn and the sun goes down and I come back and I go to sleep and I'm back at that plane and I go to sleep and I do the same work the next day and you can start to really lean into it. And I think... Jung also told us that as you start to flirt with the unconscious, it starts to flirt back. So when I'm in these big writing spells, um, you know, it's because I'm showing up for work and and the spirit or my unconscious or whatever is, the voices are there, you know, uh, the payoff is there. It's Again, it's a symbiosis of sorts. If you show up and you you flirt, you're interested in your dreams. Um, and the whole time I'm working on this, you know, this song that's due in five days or this project, whatever. I've got these placeholders. Yeah. So I think is, uh, and so yeah, so uh, you know, having those, having you know, maturing as a, as an artist and having those placeholders, those those mitts, those nets around you, um, and then being able to pick up the guitar pick up the piano, hear a little different voices, take away, hollow out, hollow out, take a walk, 
uh, play with my daughter, whatever, come back. Man, it's like I can see it. I can see how this work. I can see how the better you get, not the the less you have to work, the but you just start to hone in your process, and you're not sitting there staring at a blank blank page. You know, you're just opening yourself up, and and to to what's around you, and uh, and solidifying that con that conduit. Um, Pittman gave me that word. Mm. That conduit. You you know you're. The energy, the energy that flows through you. So I've had to work to solidify that, you know. And I'm still working at it, but how do you f- fortify that? So whether it's a live performance or uh, whether you're in a writer's block or, you know, how do you how do you go back to that, what you know, what works? Do you feel the need to perform? Um... I don't know. I kind of go back and forth with performance. I don't perform much. Um, and in an effort to put myself back out there, I, I took up a couple residencies over the last couple of years. A lot of times no one will show up, just be me in a piano hall. But I live in East good. Austin, I, you know, and I can walk to a couple places. They have pianos. I say, hey, can I play here every Wednesday from 6 to 8? They say, sure, you know. I put out a tip jar. All right, yeah, maybe you give me a couple free beers. Yeah, that sounds good. I walk down every Wednesday and I'll play, you know, and so uh, that helps keep me, keep my anxieties down as far as performance. Um, but that, uh, but it also gives me a place to work out my new stuff. Yes. You know, and yes. it allows me to, yeah. To, but, be, in, to be in relationship with, an, not just an imagined other, but because we, in part, in, I think there's something about even our setup for today. You know, you you set a container to it. All of a sudden, I got this the due date. I'm meeting with John. Yeah, that was the seed. And that so it 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 forms in the imagination. Oh, it forms this container, and you start write it down, make it happen, man. Boom. You know, yeah. Write it down, make it happen. I believe that. I got to be here in one month. That's and and then so I already knew I had the ability to do that i'm a big kind of scheduler i like to write out my schedule and um it meant to see it manifest you know you put mm-hmm. it down and to watch it manifest man then to to get that confidence uh in a studio setting and say i know that when i because i don't have a lot of money you know my my records are self-funded for this last one i had a benefactor that helped very big but i'm talking three days in the studio four days tops is what i can afford and um so it's like you it's like you're 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 approaching your your due date and uh you know you want seven ten songs you want ten songs. everybody wants ten songs (laughs) (laughs) You want ten songs, uh, and, and so I want, I want like you know eighteen. So, yeah, right. <laughs> so, so that traject that approach to those valuable scheduled days, and man, you got yeah. I got people flying in Can't from drums. I got yeah. you know I mean this this is a production is happening. Yeah, but I'm still you know to book the whole thing. I'm you do it a couple months out, and I've only got you know four five songs at that point. And it's so much fun to be to trust your process to know that okay, it's coming. <laughs> Things are gonna, and then you just stay open. And you try to stay healthy, and uh, 
it's like to show up with that cavalry man for that day of battle you know for those couple days of battle and to show up with some badasses in the studio who aren't gonna take they all have the interest of the song you know fortunately at least most of them and the producer is there to regulate and to assure that and to and to produce you to open you up hollow you out some even more lift you up um but my point is to um it's great to to do it personally and to have that confidence that I can, I can agree to show up to someone's couch and write a new song, but it's also a beautiful thing. It's almost that goes back to that paradox of solitude and community, and and it's so beautiful and so empowering to know. And when I show up, uh, whether or not I have a previous relationship with these guys, and as of now I do. You know, I have guys that I can call that like my stuff. I know they show up. They don't squash the energy. They lift it up. And that goes back to some of that bandwidth. You're dealing with people, fellow collect, uh, artists or creatives, and they squash you. You don't have to be an asshole, but you either learn to work with them or you know there need to be some better boundaries, um, at least for me. Um, it's like people that want to grab it, you know, that they want to they want to own it and the music is like a ghost you know particularly when you're when you're recording live as you've experienced in your projects here you're capturing a moment you know these these tears that i've had during this interview aren't i can't do that again you know um but in in a song is like that too i record all my music for the most part live but these are people in the room breathing looking at each other feeling the pulse and it's my duty to bring forth that seed, to remember, you know, I had something that I wanted to manifest. How do I get back to that? That that. How do I express that? And man, to have again those people around you that just lift it up and they do it with such uh, dignity and um, harmony. Uh, it's just a beautiful thing. It, it it makes you grow as a as an artist because you're like, wow, this is how production happened. This is how shows happen. So you asked about shows. Is it? Yes, it is necessary for me to perform. I don't know how much that is or what it is. I mean, my last show was at the Paramount on Congress Street. Packed house, man. I, I opened up. Yeah, I opened up for my friend Kevin Russell. And it was, I mean, it was just, that, you know, I don't know, a thousand people, whatever. You and a guitar? No, I had a three-piece. All right. Uh, it was me and my friend uh, Chris Serrells on drums. Um, and and uh, my friend Barbara Frigere on the bass guitar and uh man it was probably one of the best shows of my life one of the best shows of my life so <laughs> it's hard to go back and play that empty piano hall on wednesdays at, <laughs> at 5 30 but it's important to do it you know and um uh do i go out there and beat the bush for gigs nah i'm, I'm busy i got too much but you know what half the gigs that i played in my life they weren't good for me you know talk about a performer in one room their their voice is natural and it comes over like wine you know but a, you put them in a noisy hall and i don't expect all my shows to be good but i had a lot of those shows where you i'm not myself up there and if i'm not myself up there i'm having to modify my voice i'm having to you know it really you can uh, hopefully i'm starting to paint this scene as you know as a performer yourself it's not difficult to see where the anxiety 
arises mm-hmm. when you're asked to do something in a container that isn't somewhat sacred or honored or there's just a bunch of drunks there don't get me wrong there are those shows and i love to be one of those drunks <laughs> and there is a time and place but when you're particularly when you're developing yeah. you know and i feel like that's yeah i got I've, I've compassion for for those young musicians out there too who are just beating down every gig they can get and um more power to them but it just yeah as i get older as i try and see what's going to work for me it's like i got i got to play good gigs you know if i'm going to if particularly if i'm going to play with other players you know last show i played was in uh fort worth at a place i played for years it was it was, it was a couple years back it wasn't the last show i played but this one in particular there was a homecoming game at a bunch of university of texas um, oh. y- young people were there and mm-hmm. they Rain came down, it, it poured, and they huh. came into the bar. Uh huh. So this uh, this special show that I play like once a year now <laughs> turned into a shit show <laughs> with you know three drunk women up at the front yelling yeah. at me that it was their birthday and they wanted me to play Wonderwall. <laughs> <laughs> Case in point. Flicking me off. Oh, just giving man, me the oh. finger. My drummer wanted to throw a drumstick through one of their faces. Well, you know, that's when it pays to have, you know, those players on stage that you can kind of you can turn to and you can riff and you can play with each other a little bit more you know but yeah it's a challenge man and yeah it's shoot that'll beat you down and and man you won't play the show again i mean hopefully you've recovered it sounds like you had you had a thick enough skin but you know it's it's a hard world out there and people want to drink and get drunk and get loud well you know with a a drunk 19 year old saying fuck you (laughs) you know in the middle of your with my son sitting on the stage watching you know i was like man but yeah well so how'd you how'd you how'd you how'd you maintain your integrity there you go good and uh and eventually this uh one of the girl's friends was like he's trying to be nice to you you know and they ended up i i you know it's kind of funny that i did see at work you know the, the whole kindness thing but it i like what you're saying there is really it stands out because you you're taking these really intimate moments of of your life and you're putting them out there and inevitably they're going to be stomped on a bit because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's just going to happen yeah i mean i think it's a symptom of our it's more so a symptom of our society you know and our detachment from the arts and artistic process. Uh, but look, you get, you get that in some places more than you do others, you yeah. know, and that's why great venues are, are, are worth their weight in gold because you'll get run out of something like that. You try oh, and do that on Saxon pub or yeah. Cactus cafe. Poor or, David's pub in Dallas. I mean, yeah. I played poor <laughs> David's one time and people, you'd stop playing a song and you would hear, uh, David Card sold the, you know, beer cans. It was all beer cans. Uh-huh. It was back in the late nineties. And uh, you'd finish the song, and you'd hear because people would wait, and they'd get up and go to the bathroom yeah, and get breaks. Yeah, and I yeah, thought, yeah. wow, this is a listening room, man. This is yeah, cool. yeah, it's great. So I guess to go back to your question, I, I don't expect, and I mean, I like listening rooms, but I like a little bit of texture in the room, you know, mm-hmm. a little interaction. Um, so I've been, man, my my bread and butter is is house shows, man. I yeah. I really like that. You got comfortable people, you know. But there's a little bit of production in that, but yeah, that's. So I don't know what my future holds as far as, I mean, shoot, if I could play the Paramount, <laughs> a couple times a year, <laughs> come down to Houston, play your, I want to start playing theaters, you yeah. know. Um, 
but man, everybody does. <laughs> I'd love, uh, I'd love to do a show together one day. Yeah, That'd that sounds fun. great. I think it's just important to, to, to put yourself out there mm-hmm. and play different gigs. And I need to get better at that personally. But man, I'm my 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 schedule is just thin. We're all busy, and right now I'm particularly busy. And uh, you know, I just came out with a project. Renaissance is not that old. My latest record. played it pretty hard hard for me you know i played it locally you know mm-hmm. gigs yeah yeah i didn't go on tours or anything like that i i 
you know, I don't think that's that's not for me. That's not the way my art is going to play out. At least I don't see it. Uh, and I'm not interested in it, you know. I, I Again, I value my streets. I value my community. I value the art, the art culture and the ever-growing population of people in Austin. You know, I have faith that our cities are, can be robust enough that, you know, you can make it there. You, you can't make money there. I don't, you know. But I can be a part of that city. I can be a part of that region. And I can, it'll, it has venues. It has places for me to show my work, to be appreciated. And then all the while, I can, I'm, I may or may not be, hopefully I'm contributing to the community, you know, through my work as well. So I'm, you know, I want to be a part of a system. I want to be a part of a community, you know. And um, so it goes back to the value of, of what we do, you know, in and around our, our neighborhoods. And it goes back to design, you know, it goes back to some of my other interests. So I think there's something, I think there's a, there's, we're experiencing culturally these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't exactly know what to call them. We can't just call them drunk 19 year olds. I mean, cause that's life. But, that's right. uh, uh, <laughs> and look, I mean, there's a time and place. Shoot. But, um, Anyway, I think that that's a discussion to have, and I and I hope artists and writers pick up that low hanging fruit because that's where I'm seeing my, you know, talking about that, writing about that. It doesn't have to be political, but right. man, we need our sidewalks back. You know, we need to connect with each other. You know, we need we need streets. We need to be inspired by each other. We need to support each other. We need to recognize that a record doesn't take three days to write doesn't take three months to write, you know, it takes a while. And, and, and so how do we, you know, I, I think there's programs and that in cities, regions that support that more than others. Mm-hmm. And there's venues that support that more than others. And so that's part of your process is knowing where to, where, where to, where to, you know, put your energy, you know? So I, I know a lot of wily, wily, artists you ask them to play a gig you know and rightfully so they want to say what's the venue what's the sound situation who's going to be playing before me who's going to be playing after me and you know it's not because they are pompous or feel entitled but it's because they want to be themselves and they want to be heard and they want to honor their work you know and so yeah i i I just feel like there's a big disconnect between what it means to, you know, t- to make art and, and the, the time it takes and the focus and, and how we hold those people in our communities and support them. I think it's really important. And again, that's why I, go, I have so much gratitude for, for places that you can survive as, you know, I don't, I mean, I say survive, it doesn't pay my bills, <laughs> but, but I think part of our job a lot of people don't make money with their art, you know, uh, but I think part of our job to understand your process, going back to process, is to say, okay, I'm not going to sell 10,000 records and I can't play the Paramount. <laughs> I can't sell out the Paramount, you know, on my own. Uh, but what is a working scenario? What am I available to do? And if your community doesn't have, if your city doesn't have those resources, you got to move. You know, you need to go find it because that's part of your process. And uh, so when I was doing these records all around the state, I knew that I had Austin to come back to. And there's something that, you know, 
really good. It felt felt like I I had a place to bring bring home the hunt, so to speak. You know, like mm-hmm. um. So I think that's our job. You know, I think that's, it comes down to you, you know if you know you you're tied in. You're I don't know. You're on the outskirts of some other town, and you're not feeling connected. You gotta either build a community or reach out to people or move. You know get with your loved ones and say, this is what I need to do. Help me get to a venue. Help me find, I had this one of my best friends, <laughs> a Scottish guy who lives in New York City. And when I was a single man, I'd go up there every Thanksgiving and it was just a wonderful time in my life. Uh, I knew, uh, it's kind of right before I started writing solo records. Nothing better than New York City to kind of blow your mind. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, come on. <laughs> I remember I came up there uh, right after Daft Punk came out with uh, Access Memories or whatever that, whatever their two records ago. Man, I was, shoot, I felt like McDundee, man, but, you know, from the from the sticks. But I was really kind of late in life, was really discovering New York City with this great record and just kind of bouncing through the, through the subways. Anyway, I'll never forget it. It's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, it, and it really made me feel attached, John. These were these were I was in, I was depressed and you know not in an unhealthy way but I was in a depression mm-hmm. and going around and being around all those people and that hustle and bustle stoked me stoked my fire you know and uh, helped me on my way and um, so I, I hate to paint myself as such a city boy but uh, I can ride a horse. <laughs> <laughs> But um, anyway, my my buddy Derek, uh, he would get on me. He would say, "I'm out. I got a bad Scottish accent or impersonation." But he would say, "Find a gallery." I was, you know, I was coming out with these records or these projects, and he was like, "Find a gallery," you know. And uh, I know what he's saying, man. Mm-hmm. You gotta find. You gotta find community. You know, you gotta find your way. You gotta you you can't just write in the cave. You can go find your voice in the cave, but you gotta come out. You know, and where are you going to come out and how are you going to come out and how are you going to do that in a healthy manner without a huge substance abuse problem or, you know, how, how what, where, where are some of the artists that are doing it around you? How are they doing it? You know, how, how are they staying healthy or how are they, uh, you know, that all is parts of the overused word of community, I think, you know, it's just. Hmm. So, thank you. My I, pleasure, John. I think this is a good, uh, a good time of the conversation to begin to slow it down a bit. Great. Um, of course, I want you to stay connected, people. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it if you play us out. All right, let me think here. Is there anything else that's standing? I mean, feel free. We can take another forty-five minutes if you want. To. Is there anything else that standing out that you left? Or that's been left hanging? No.
you can get your gold. Played a cameo down at the corner store. Or to find the stone, the shell or the bone. Could be out on the road in the empty mine of gold. Mama never wanted a rolling stone Yeah, but it's not time for what mama wants So go get your rest Down in your chest It's a fire in the soul and a bone under your breast Get your rest Down in your chest it's a fire in the soul and a bone. Thanks, brother. Thank you. It's a real, real gift. Thank you. 
wishing you a little sidewalk that goes all the way down that street to all your friends. Say something, say something, say something clear. So